When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. I think we'll have to make some tough decisions in a lot of areas, not just in the secondary. Um, you know, we've got, uh, again, we're going to have to sit down and, um, you know, with Rick and, and Rob and George and sit down and talk about. You know where we're at with salary cap, where we're at with uh, players, the age of the players, the who we feel like are going to be core core players for us uh, in the future. You know we've always done this player evaluation thing with the coaches right after the season, and I just felt like this it's not it's not the right time, and we should get away from it, um, so that we're not biased in whatever happened in the last ball game or you know the last two weeks or whatever it was. All right, welcome into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, former NFL player Alex Boone. What is going on, Alex? How are you? Dude, Matt, it feels great to be here with you today. It does. It always does. Uh, I want to start with the biggest story in sports, and let's relate it to the National Football League. Um, Right now, the scandal in baseball with cheating seems like a powder keg that is about to blow up again. So the baseball already handed down this massive punishment to the Houston Astros for sign stealing. And they had been supposedly banging on garbage cans every time it was going to be a fastball, which you would think that baseball would have noticed at some point that this was happening. But instead, it took a former Astros pitcher coming out and saying how they were doing it to open up the doors for Major League Baseball to investigate and to uh, suspend people. There have been people who have quit their jobs. And today, Carlos Beltran, who was involved when he was with the Astros, He quit his job as manager of the New York Mets today. And now there's rumors that Houston Astros players were wearing buzzers that someone could basically push a button and have it buzz on their shoulder to tell them when a fastball was coming, which is just crazy mind-blowing that this was going on. Uh, And I wanted to ask you, Alex, if there's something in football outside of just the New England Patriots organization as a whole, if there's something in football that would be the equivalent of this, and I'm not saying that you need to, you know, what, uh, whatever, Their out names. everybody's little secrets or something, <laughs> but what's, what's happening in football that we don't know about behind the scenes that is helping teams cheat to win, I guess would be my question. Is there can something I, that we could think of? No. Can I just be honest before we even go into this? 
Can we talk about how amazingly creative this was and how at <laughs> some point somebody has to stop being so sensitive and be like, you know what? They got us. They got us good guys. Good for them. Like, why does everybody got to quit their job? Who cares if it's an off-speed pitch? You still have to hit the ball. I mean, like, I get it. It's a fastball. Okay, it's going to be coming really fast now. Like, what? I guess I don't see what's so bad about it, but in the NFL, you can't really do that because there's so many different situations. It's not like a, pit, a, a batter coming up to the plate. It's like, hey, it's third and two. Well, there's a tendency that they're going to run these three plays. So what's the best way to stop these three plays all at once? Or like, I know that one time, and this is a true story, and I won't name names because we love this guy, but somebody was tipping off a defense one time, and it was the Rams, and they knew exactly when we were checking to pass. And I don't for like the longest time we didn't know how they were doing it. Like we were like, oh, what is it? Somebody's stance? Is it the quarterback? Is it the way he's killing it? Is it the receivers talking to each other? So like for this whole game, we're trying to like everyone's like gonna eventually stop communicating. Well, here they were like, dude, we were just looking at one of your running backs, and every time they would check the pass, he would look out at the corners because that's his most na- like natural. Oh, okay. They, they, yeah. As soon as you go to pass, they're probably either gonna go weak side or strong side. To the corner. So he would check his nearest corner to see who was the first threat, and they would automatically check to Tampa, too. It was, like, the most incredible thing I had ever seen because I had to call one of the guys later and be like, dude, how'd you figure this out? They were like, <laughs> they were like dude, we were looking at your running back. He was just kept looking out. I was like, oh, my God. So this has been a great part of sports for all of sports history is figuring out tendencies and stuff like that, and that's been great in baseball for many, many years, where if you're out at second base and you realize it's the third sign, and then you say, put your hands on your knees to show the batter because you figured out what their signs were, or you figured out when they were stealing, so you pitch over every time because you figured out that every time the guy touches his belt, that's the indicator, and then the next sign is it makes it on or off or whatever. Like, that's cool. Like, that's a special sort of talent and focus on what's going on to figure out a tendency and then take advantage of that tendency. What was happening in baseball, what makes it so much worse, Alex, is that they were using the extra technology to be able to do it in the same way that the Patriots were filming sidelines. Like, that crosses a line. (laughs) That's not like somebody looking over there and being like, Dude, every time he puts his hand out like this, it means that their fullback going in or, or they're going to run this play every time that the running back has his hands on his legs or something. You know what I mean? It's, it's totally different. It's using technology live to send in a signal. And potentially, if this turns out to be true, taping a buzzer to a guy. That, I mean, that, this is just like way, way too far for me to say, like, oh, it's okay. You got to hit it anyway. I don't think so. I think when you're using technology inside the stadium to send in signals to your batter of whether it's going to be a fastball or curve, you have gone way past go here. Well, can you blame them? I mean, they won. They were. I mean, I guess it did help them in a way because when you are taping a buzzer to yourself, dude, you're right. You've you've gone past the point of like that's just uncalled for. But I think it's people now have to worry about what is other sports going to do. Like, how, how creative are other people going to get? I remember times that we'd be doing walkthroughs, and they would, like, security would chase people down because they thought people were filming us. Mm-hmm. And it was like, because, yeah. like, I remember we were over in London one time, and they found a guy sitting in the top of the stadium, <laughs> like, filming us. And they're, and, like, within 10 seconds, like, 100 guys went running after because they're, like, constantly paranoid that people are filming you doing something. But my always my thought process was always like, listen, even if they know it's coming, they still have to stop it. Like you have to be perfect in every facet to stop it. So yeah. 
Well, I get what people are saying. Like they went above and beyond the cheating. Like I get it. You guys figure out signs. You're going to help each other out. That's cool. It's part of the game. But when you bring in other technology, like you said, cameras and videotaping people and and you know whatever Apple watches, all this stuff. Dude, that's a lot. And you, you've gone way past the point of, like, you tried too hard. Right, right. And now the Agreed. question is, how many Major League Baseball teams will be connected to something right. like this? We're going to find out. But it is now one of the biggest scandals, I think, ever really in sports. And it probably even goes beyond what we were talking about with Spygate and the New England Patriots. I just wonder if there's something in football that would be an equivalent that could be happening using technology to succeed. And I guess the the thing I I would think of right away would just be like using tiny cameras. So if there's a guy with a big old camera filming your walkthrough, uh, okay, well, that's going to be pretty obvious. But could you sneak in a small, tiny camera somewhere with the technology that we have to be able to film uh, somebody's walkthrough or even bugging to get audio, right? right? If you were able to set up microphones in some places to be able to hear calls that were going in or something like that or coach communication to be able to bug, you would be able to get a pretty significant advantage if you could hear everything the opposing coach was saying that would help you out quite a bit i would think that's the only ways that i would say would be similar to this where if we found out we would go oh my gosh like what like they were really bugging the opposing yeah. head coach to figure out what the signals were to get an advantage uh, aside from that i'm not sure what the, it could actually be i i think uh, with you I, i've always been cautious like when we we're on the road People that were talking into like the radios and especially like going into the quarterback's helmet, like you're always wondering, like, I wonder who else hears this. Because there's always been like we've I personally have heard guys from certain places in the NFL that are like, Listen, even though they say the mic's off, it's always on. Hmm. I'm like, No, no, it's not. They're like, dude, I heard you that one time talk about this and I was like, Bro, I thought you said they were off. I was like, "What, what are you doing? He was like, yeah, we hear everything. We just don't turn it on until all of a sudden you guys break the huddle. or like It just makes you think that mm. if you're listening to me there, yeah. who are you? like? At, at one point I looked at him like, how do I trust you? He was like, well, I work for the NFL. I was like, how do I trust you? I just asked. Like, <laughs> right. That makes me fear you a little bit more than I should. He was like, well, we obviously wouldn't tell anybody. Once again. This isn't the honor right, But system. what if someone yeah. paid you some what cash if? underneath the table? Yeah. Right. I, I, even if there is something like this going on in football, um, I feel like it would be, be harder to expose, maybe, um, because the NFL would do a better job of covering it up than baseball. Is that, is that yeah, like a weird take? The football seems to be great at having any sort of scandal that hits it just slide off its back, and Major League Baseball seems to be making it worse on a daily basis. I think, I think, though, with football, it slides off their back because they genuinely – I really do feel like they don't care. Like, with all, we talk about, like, what happened with the Patriots. Like, they were like, you know what, Tom, what are you doing? You know, like, they got mad, they came down on them, and they were like, that's it. We're not going to expose ourselves to the outside world. If they have questions, they can go ask themselves. If they want to figure something out, they can go figure it out themselves. Like, we're not going to talk about it. They, like, once it's a dead issue with the league, it's a dead issue. Like, it never gets brought back up. Like, it's almost like trying to talk to Bill Belichick, trying to get information. Right. From like, yeah. it's never going to ha- Once they're like, bro, we closed that door. Didn't you see us walk out? Like, we're never going to talk about this again. And they do a great job of it. I feel like um, Major League Baseball fans also hang on to these things for much longer and take them much more personally. So if, say... Do you think, though, that's because it's a different game, like a different 
uh, I don't want to say like more respectable, but a different class. Like it's it's not a violent, barbaric sport. It's yeah. more of a yes. soft, classy sport. So their fans are like, dude, how could you guys do this to us? I, I think, yeah, that there's some connection with baseball that's sort of like Little League and going to a ball game with your dad and sort right, of that right. sort of nostalgia that goes yes. along with it. So when people cheat the game, it really hits you somewhere else. Where with football, it's like... Oh, yeah, well, these guys literally gouge each other's eyes at the bottom of the pile. So, you know, I guess it doesn't surprise me they try to use a camera. Yeah, you know what say. Yeah, it, it does. there does seem to be this, like, with football fans, oh, uh, somebody cheated at something, whatever. What did he do for my fantasy team? Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I had the over in that game, so now I'm mad. But if I'd had the under, it would have been fine. You know, there is a yeah. very different... Um, mentality from football and, and, and baseball fans. That's why it's such a big deal, though, I think. And that's why people are worried is because these sports are so bet on now. Like, the betting is taken yeah. to a whole nother world. And imagine being people that were betting on this only to find out that you got cheated out of your money. Like, that's when I think the leagues are going to have to step in and be like, okay, we really have to make sure this isn't going on. Because if people find out that they're getting duped out there because we're cheating in here, like... You don't know what could happen to your league. Right, yeah. That's crazy. So I guess it's something to, I don't know, think about what could be happening in the NFL with all the technology that's there and how many people are mic'd up on a daily basis and where that audio goes. If it just goes to NFL films and that's it, or are there different ways to be able to hack into that and so forth? Uh, it, it, this this here today has really just gotten my conspiracy mind spinning. And I'll I'll just give you my... Favorite conspiracy with football, and then you can give me yours, and we can move on and talk about the Vikings offseason. And we've got uh, Ted Wynn of the Athletic coming up. But my conspiracy that I feel like I see all the time is referees opening the door for comebacks, yes. where it's you know, there's just a mysterious holding call, or there's a mysterious, you know, one team is up a couple of scores, and uh, there's a pass interference or something like that when it should have been a stop or an OPI or whatever. And I'll give you um, a couple of my favorite examples. One was in the Super Bowl between the Cardinals and Steelers, where it was a really boring game for most of that game. And then there's a holding call in the end zone that gives, I think, the Steelers a safety yeah, or, or something like that. It gives them a safety and gives Arizona the ball back. Then Larry Fitz scores the touchdown, and all of a sudden, they're ahead just like that. And it was like, wait, was there actually a holding there? I don't even know if they really showed it again. And then the other one was 28-3. to If Atlanta gets a first down, it's over. And instead, they call a holding penalty on the Falcons that brings them back. They're out of field goal position, and then the Patriots, the door is open. It just seems like there's always those opportunities that if the NFL said to its referees, referees, hey, look, if a game that's really big and exciting is sort of starting to get out of hand, let, let's, do, let's do what we can. That's I've, my conspiracy theory. Could not agree with you more. I've always felt like that, especially playing in the games where you're like, dude, did you did you really just, is, what is going, are you trying to let the, I remember we were playing the Rams one time, and Jerome Boger, I swear to God, called holding on us, and we were like, dude, are, Jerome, are you crazy right now? He was like, <laughs> hey, man, I called as I see it. I was like, bro, do you... 
you're just really trying to let them back in this game, aren't you? Like, you really just – we're, we're the away team. You're just pissed, right? <laughs> like, you can't – I can tell you how many times you're like, wait a minute, that can't be a flag. Like, this is we're, – we're, we're supposed to win this. And now they get the ball back or they're going to do this. That's They need to figure out this referee situation there were, because that's another thing. How about uh, even last year in the playoffs when the Chargers had dominated the Ravens for the entire game and the Chargers get a first down to end the game with, like, two minutes left. They call holding penalty to try and give Lamar – Jackson one last run at a game-winning drive, and it doesn't work out, so the Chargers win and everyone forgets about it. But I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a coincidence, but I feel like that's one where I start to play the X-Files music a little bit. (laughs) Dude, that would be great. That is great music. No, I agree with you. 100%. 100%. Um, just a little bit of news here coming across, and then uh, we could talk about Odell Beckham if you like. Do it. Do it. Let's do it. Uh, this, is in- this is insane. Cleveland Browns are looking for a GM because everything's great there, and you definitely want to be their GM. Uh, but George Payton is scheduled to interview with Cleveland this weekend, and there are a couple other people who will be um, you know, from the Patriots, from the Eagles, who will be interviewing as well. Really interesting to me that George Payton would be interviewing with Cleveland when he's turned down a lot of other interviews or a lot of other potential jobs. He's been a hot GM candidate for a couple of years now since the Vikings have built up uh, the organization that they have with George Payton as their assistant GM. Uh, Interesting to you, Alex, that he would be interviewing there with the Browns. No, I think he likes Stefanski a lot. And I I was... I'm going to say this, and I'm just going to, I'm just, it was thinking about it today, and I was like, man, George, he's finally going to take that interview. Because I remember last year he declined a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was like, I don't want to do this. The year before he declined a bunch of them. And it was like, he was like, I just want to be here. I was like, man, he jumped at that real quick, didn't he? And yeah. Like, he yeah. must really, really like Stefanski, and he must believe in him. And I think that, and I've said this to people in Cleveland because everyone's calling me like, dude, what the hell? We, you know, they're kind of pissed because of the way the game ended against the 49ers like they're kind of like dude what's this dude gonna do when adversity strikes is he gonna go into a shell or is he gonna with george i think you have confidence behind you and somebody that you can trust somebody that trusts you somebody that you have a working relationship with like that couldn't be a better situation for them and as much as cleveland should have kept john dorsey because i thought john did great things for them and he He was built a roster that was good he he, not only that he was a tough gm like he was the same guy every week like that's what you want and for him to go, that was huge. But if you can get George in there, oh, my God, I think that that would be huge. And secondly, please, God, don't bring Steve Wilkes back as the defensive coordinator. Because <laughs> like, that's the one thing that Kevin's going to need. And I know people don't understand this, but it's his first time being a head coach, and you're going to be a ton of scrutiny. Like You walk in in day three, your starting wide receiver is about to get arrested, yeah. about to get kicked out of LSU, like causing a lot of problems that Kevin doesn't need. So what do you do to counteract that? You get a tough D coordinator, a right. dude that is yeah. like no nonsense. Like That's why when I saw Wade Phillips, I was like, bro, this could be the next year's team that's going to be hot. Because they're going to they're gonna have Wade with the experience, and Wade's going to be in Kevin's ear like, listen, bro, don't let that slide. Don't let this slide. Take care of that. Take I thought it was this. very smart of McVay to do that. Yes. To, to hire someone who was 70 years old and had seen it all and, and been through it all. Right, and whose dad had coached and has grown up his entire life living in this league. But when I saw it was Steve Wilkes, well, that kind of brings me back to like, oh, my God. I mean, like, I guess Steve's a great defensive coordinator, but he just doesn't seem like the guy that Wade would have seemed like. And. You know, I think that who he finds as a D coordinator is going to be imperative for his success there. Yeah, and now he's got his first test on his hands uh, oh in God, terms of even... Odell Beckham. That uh, in just a second. What would you but, do? Well, I, I guess your first thought right away is 
do I trade him? Do I suspend him? Do I, like what, do I let the NFL handle it and sort of keep hands off? Because it's you getting tested right away right. of this guy is going to be like this. And by the way, he's not the only guy on the roster who does stuff like this. So how are you going to send a message right away that you're going to take this seriously? I mean, if you're Kevin Stefanski... Do you fine him for conduct detrimental to the team? Do you say, look, when the season starts, opening week, you're not out there because you got yourself arrested at the national championship? Or do you say, look, you know, this thing is kind of BS down there. All you did was, you know, kind of just love tap a guy on the rear and it's not that big of a deal and maybe they shouldn't have pressed charges anyway. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, Stefanski doesn't come across like he's going to be the next Tom Coughlin or something, right. but he also has to establish that he's not going to be a pushover here because that's what they just had in Freddie Kitchens. Yeah. Uh, uh, number one, OBJ screwed up because you're putting your – Brand new coach in a really tough situation, mm-hmm. like you said. Because as a player, and I know personally as a player, if that were my team, I'd be like, I wonder what this dude's going to do now. Because however he plays this is how I'm going to play him going forward. If he's like, hey, bro, water under the bridge, it was a silly little thing, dude, you're cooked. Your team's going to just be like, okay, cool. So one guy got a warrant out for him, and we're good to go? Right. Good to go, bro. You have to set boundaries right away. Listen, what he did was silly and stupid. Why some guys pressing charges? Dude, come on. It's 2020. Stop being like that, okay? You were in the national championship locker room. Everyone's excited. Like, sometimes you just got to let things go. And that was one of them. I think he's personally, I think he's filing charges because, number one, somebody made him look silly, right? That dude that posted that video. Yeah, the video. That's why. Because everyone was making fun of him. Right. People don't realize things go away if they don't know or see it or don't have to be made a fool of. Like, had there not been a video, this would not be an issue. What would be an issue is giving money to kids. Dude, that's reckless and stupid. And that makes your team look even dumber. Because you're out here handing out cash to a bunch of kids, and all of a sudden the school's in trouble, and you're like, well, whatever, what do I care? I'm an NFL player. That's just called immaturity. Like, at bottom line, I can't tell you how dumb that was because you put your coach – Coach O, in a really bad situation, you put the players in an even more situation, what if those kids get kicked out of school? Like, they could all of a sudden get in a lot of trouble for taking money because, number one, we all saw it happen. Had it not been seen, people would have been like, dude, it's fake money. But now everyone's like, no, we reviewed it. It's real money, and we want all that money back. And it's like, well, what now what's going to happen to these kids? What's going to happen to the school? Like, yeah. this is just... Yep, you're right. Thoughtless you have, on his part. Dude, you've made Kevin's life so much harder because now he has to go, dude, i got to set boundaries quickly. Like, you have opened the door for me to do this. And if he does, he he's probably going to say, we're going to wait to see what the league says. That's what everyone does. Yeah. We're not stupid anymore. But when the league comes down with the punishment, I feel like Kevin has to stand justified. Like, listen, dude, this is how it is. Like you screwed up, and we're just going to do this. We're going to move on, and we're going to Belichick our way out of here and not talk about it anymore. There's That's the best way. No team in the league that needs more for him to be punished severely, right. though. For, for, for Stefanski to come in and say, I know you guys think I'm a first-time head coach, so I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm trading Odell Beckham today, and he's gone. And we're going to win without him because we don't need jackasses Ballsy. on our team. I, remember, I love it. Uh, Mike Morris, who is the uh, former uh, long snapper for the Vikings, used to do shows with us, and he told a great story, I think it was him, about Belichick when, in, when he first got to Cleveland that some guys in a meeting were talking in the back, and he made them come all the way down to the front and sit right in the front, and he said, I worked really hard to get this job, and you are not going to F it up. 
And it was sort of one of those like, okay, this guy's not messing around. Yeah, and, and you know, the way that Odell Beckham played last year, you don't really need that. I mean, that's yeah. pretty replaceable. I know he was playing with an injury, but when it's always something, when it's always some new issue, when he's getting in a fight with the kicking net or, you know, just making headlines for a video coming out that looks like he's snorting coke off a pizza box or what. Right. It's like Dumb. it's every time this guy is away from the facility, it's some new issue with him. And I know I'm the type of person that says, you know, well, great talent's pretty hard to replace. And the old cowboys probably uh, snort a little nose candy now and then too, but but if you're not going to produce like that, and you're right. a new coach and you've got an opportunity to send a message, I like the idea of having him traded tomorrow. I do too. I I love it because I think number one, it helps Kevin to prove that he is who he is. Like he's like, listen, I warned you not to do this. You did it. You're gone. Peace. But it shows the rest of the team like, hey, listen. I'm not dealing with this. I don't care if you're the best receiver in this league. You will go just like he did. That will bring your team around to you faster. Watch how many guys don't show up late that year. They're going to be like, dude, they cut OBJ. They'll cut me too. I don't care. I'm going to be there five minutes early, earlier than five minutes earlier. Like, that is how you send a message. God, and, that'd be fun. And there's nobody who needs to, to hear that message more than Baker Mayfield That's because true. he proved on multiple occasions last year that he's still an immature jackass. And he needs somebody in his face. I think, to, to make him realize that this is not uh, a game here. This isn't college. This isn't where you just mess around and they let you get away with whatever you're going to get away with. Like There are real consequences to the things you do for people's jobs. I mean, if it, bottom line, Baker Mayfield not being ready to handle the heat last year cost a lot of people their jobs, and his head coach stood there and let him do it. And, and so I feel like Kevin walking into this tough situation right away does have an opportunity to, to say to his quarterback even, look, we got rid of your star receiver. We'll get rid of your ass, too. I don't care where we drafted you. And at, at very least, you would hope that he would get the message. I'm not sure that Baker ever will. Um, I'm not sure he's a guy that will grow up, just like Odell Beckham didn't, as we saw uh, from that video. But if there's a chance to do it, I think Kevin has to be tough here. Agreed. And, dude... I mean, you talk about Baker talking about guys' injuries and talking about how they didn't handle it correctly. Remember yeah. when he came out and was like, the training staff probably didn't handle Bro, what are you doing? Yep. How dare you step over a line that you know nobody's allowed to cross? Like, there is a lot. And I feel, I feel like Kevin can do it because he is so personable and he's not this, like, rah-rah guy. He's this more, like, real quiet and like, hey, listen, man, we're just going to talk like two guys, okay? Let's not get out of control. Let's mm-hmm. just be cool. Let's be civilized. I think that sometimes when you have these rah-rah teams, that's the calming force. You know, like, you want to be super hyped up and you want to act like a bunch of six-year-old kids and all of a sudden your coach comes in and he's like, calm down. Here we go. Let's do this. You know, yeah. like, that's how we were. We were always bouncing off the walls. And then, you know, they come in and be like, calm it down, guys. Let's get over the game plan. You'd be like, okay. Like, that's what you need. I think <laughs> Kevin can do a great job of that up there. All right, let's take a break. When we come back from the athletic, Ted Wynn, he is el- elite in uh, just like Dat Wynn, the old linebacker. Remember him? Oh, yeah. Uh, hell of a player. Uh, so uh, Ted is one of the best at breaking down the film, and he's got a piece up about how the Tennessee Titans slowed down the Baltimore Ravens offense. We're going to ask him about that and preview these championship games. When we return, you're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. Hey there, it's Phil Mackey for Federated Mutual Insurance Company, and Federated is here to give business owners out there peace of mind. You pour your life and energy into a business, and the last thing you want is for something to happen that puts you on the defense, and that's where Federated comes in. Based in Owatonna, Minnesota, over a century of experience in standing behind business owners. If you're a business owner and you want some more peace of mind, 
Go to federatedinsurance.com to find out more about your local federated marketing representative. Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. Listen and win with the free Score North mobile app. This month, one lucky winner will win a $200 gift card to Top Golf with prizes also available for Amazon.com and more. Register your app, listen to your favorite Score North content, and you could be a winner. Caller, is it easy to say that Kyle Juszczyk is one of your favorite players in the NFL right now? I think all fullbacks are my favorite okay. player. Well, he joined Good Morning Football this morning and was talking about the return of your favorite position, the fullback, saying? Man, I sure hope so. I, I think it is a cyclical league, and as these linebackers start to get smaller um, you know, to compensate for what they need to do in the pass game, I think that's an opportunity for fullbacks to step in, uh, to be able to come in there and move those guys around. Uh, but, you know, you look at the teams that are left in the league, and I'm seeing a lot of fullbacks. So, uh, yeah, I hope we're coming back. Caller, how much do you want the fullback just to be the main position next year? You know, the problem is C.J. Ham told me that guys don't view a neck roll as being cool anymore. Uh, it and, is cool, And they're though. just wrong. Yeah. They're just dead wrong. He's For lying. Sure. They are cool. They are cool. They are <clears throat> He said he wouldn't wear one. He's like, oh, it's kind of cheesy. It's like fake tough guy. I'm like, no, it's not. You think Tom Rathman and Sam Dash were fake tough guys? Did you just say Tom Rathman? What a name from the past. Also, what a neck roll. Unreal neck roll. Oh, so in uh, the press box at Levi's Stadium, there is a picture of Tom Rathman with an epic neck roll. And, of course, I took a picture of it. So. He was the was marvelous ever. Oh, I loved him. Yeah, he's the best. All right, now to break down Tom Rathman film with us. You can follow him on Twitter at FB underscore film analysis. It is Ted Wynn from The Athletic, one of our favorite guests. What's going on, Ted? They need to bring the neck roll back. Am I right? Yeah, I got to bring the neck roll back. It's, uh, I mean, fullback's coming in fast, and you might as well bring a neck roll back, too. Well, why don't we start there, Ted? The uniqueness of the San Francisco offense. The Vikings saw it uh, last week. It's a Shanahan, it's a Kubiak style, and yet there are so many little twists to that San Francisco offense. And, you know, of these two games, the home teams, I, I think, are going to be pretty heavily favored here. And San Francisco against the Vikings was just very, very impressive. So what makes Kyle Shanahan's offense so unique uh, on film to you that has allowed them to succeed the way they have both in the run in the past? Uh, first, I mean, it starts off with, you know, old-fashioned outside zone and how they marry that with the play action. And it's just so hard to decipher, you know, when the, the, the offense is actually running outside zone and when they're running that boot action. And I know Stefanski installed some of that in Minnesota, but I, I just think the uh, the Niners do it on a different level. Their offensive linemen also do such a good job of selling the run fake that it's so tough on uh, defenders and on top of that, you know Shanahan just he knows what the defense is going to do. He knows their rules and he just is has a knack for designing plays to break those rules and really frustrate defenses. And you know there's been a few times where he he uh, he goes out and calls a play, he sees the coverage, and he already knows it's going to be a touchdown uh, before the play the ball's even snapped. So he, he's just a really ingenious play designer. Talking about this Shanahan offense, who do you think brings more to the table? A use check or the Kittle? Is it the tight end or the fullback that makes it so special? Oh, man, you can't make a shoot. No, but, uh, I know, right? Juszczyk, yeah, it, it's hard. It's hard. But uh, use check is an extremely unique player in that he is also – you know, he was a former wide receiver converted to a fullback, but he is an extremely good lead blocker. He doesn't you – know, he's not going to pancake, uh, pancake guys – consistently but he 
he almost always makes his block. He always knows his assignment, so you can't discount him in the run game. And then he can go out if you're, you're going to match uh, a 250-pound linebacker on him. He, he has motion out into um, motion out as a wide receiver, and then you have to cover him with your linebacker. So it's just extremely tough. But George Kittle is just to me, he's probably the most valuable non-quarterback in the league, just because he's so dominant on the edge and uh, his blocking edge is so vital in the outside zone, as you guys know. And then, then you know, if he goes on a play action, he catch a five-yard pass and turn it into a forty-yard touchdown. Talking with Ted Wynn, he does uh, film all 22 analysis for The Athletic. That's where you can read his work. Um, so is Jimmy Garoppolo actually a real good quarterback, Ted, or is it just Kyle Shanahan setting him up to succeed and the playmakers and the roster that they've built through kind of so a lot of tough years where they got high draft picks, were able to you know put great players on the defensive side, set up that offense with good field position, or is Jimmy Garoppolo a legit Super Bowl caliber quarterback? I think he's a very good quarterback that that's in a good situation, and he you know he he's really changed his game since coming to San Francisco. I think uh, Shanahan has really harped on to play more on schedule, play more in the rhythm of the offense, and then when he has to, you can you, you can see some of that playmaking ability still come out. So I think he's a very good uh, tier two quarterback. I wouldn't put him in the the top ten quite yet, but he fits exactly what this offense needs right now, and his playmaking ability just adds that little extra uh, X factor to this Niners offense. Ted, when you watch this offense, you talk about a backfield that's a backfield by committee. What do these three guys do so well, but so different? Like, what makes them so amazing on offense? You have three different guys back there. In my opinion, all different styles. What's I mean, what is up with this Shanahan backfield? Uh, it, it's really just who they feel like is is running the the best, and who's running the um, who has the hot hand right now. I mean, in the beginning of the season. Uh, you know, they, they wanted their, um, who's the running back from, uh, that came Tell from Minnesota? Him. I forgot cool. his name right now. Oh, uh, uh Jared McKinnon. Yeah, Jared McKinnon. Jared McKinnon was supposed to be the big free agent running back, uh, but he was injured two years in a row. Mm-hmm. And then yep. Matt Breida was that guy who was supposed to be the number two back. And he didn't do anything wrong, but he kind of fell out of favor because Raheem Mostert was just running so well. And with Mostert, I think, he probably has the best vision of, of those backs. He, he really knows how to stay patient and press the outside before making his cut in the outside zone, which is so vital to maximize yardage on those. And then Tevin Coleman, he's not a big guy, but he runs extremely hard. He gets that extra yardage because he just keeps driving his legs, and he's also a huge receiving threat as well. So when, they, when they're in a game, they need uh, and they want to spread out guys with their personnel. They'll, they'll put in Tevin Coleman because he – could do a lot of different things. So they just have a three-headed monster, and whoever they feel like fits the game plan the best and whoever's running the, the best will be the guy that gets the most carries. So, Ted, when the 49ers went up against the Vikings, who run the obviously the Kubiak-style offense, they kicked the heck out of the Vikings' offense. And when they played the Packers earlier this year, it's that same sort of Kubiak-Shanahan influence. And they kicked the heck out of the Green Bay Packers, and they couldn't move the ball at all. What could be different this time for Green Bay as they go out to Santa Clara and try to uh, improve their offensive production, which is putting it nicely compared to the way that they played in that last game? I think I think the biggest thing is that Devontae Adams is fully healthy and he is really kind of um, building a really nice rapport with Aaron Rodgers. I think when he was coming back from 
his turf toe injury in that first meeting in week 12. He wasn't fully himself yet. You could just see he wasn't as explosive. And the, the Niners, uh, they double-covered him at times, but they, they also single-covered him a lot. And he was able, and Akilo Witherspoon, who's actually was benched last week, was able to cover him one-on-one on multiple occasions. But I don't think that's going to be able to happen uh, this time around. I mean, he looks in his last four games, he has over 400 yards, four touchdowns, and, you know, he had that big game against Seattle. So I think the Niners really have to pay more attention to Devontae Adams and not let him uh, beat him because really outside of Adams, the, the Green Bay Packers don't have that many weapons. But with that extra attention to Adams, maybe that opens things up for the run game, maybe opens things up for Jimmy Graham. So, yeah, I think the biggest difference is uh, Devontae Adams playing really well right now. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the run game. Talking about Aaron Jones, how vital is it going to be for him this week to show up against a, a team that's just a natural pass rush defense? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be huge because if there's one weakness in this Niners defense, even when everybody was healthy, it, it was against the run. So if Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones could get things going on in the run game, it's going to make life a lot easier. It's going to slow down the pass rush there and they don't have to ask Aaron Rodgers to pass 50 times a game. And as you know, you don't want to do that against this type of pass rush. So, uh, yeah, Jones is going to be huge in this game. How washed is Rodgers? I'm, I'm glad you I'm, asked that because I was about to. I was going to bring up my co-host thinks he's washed. I want to know what you think. Uh, so I've been messing with Alex all season long about Rodgers being washed. And, boy, it's been a washed roller coaster. Like, one week Washy. you'll think that Rodgers can't play anymore in that game against Detroit in Week 17 where he's just overthrowing every deep shot. And then against Seattle, wow, that was Aaron Rodgers for you. Which version is going to show up in uh, Santa Clara? Well, I think he's starting to trust this offense, and when you watch him against Seattle, he wasn't holding on to the ball. I think when he was playing, when he had a rough stretch during the season, he was just holding on to the ball too long, not trusting what he was seeing, and just allowing the pass rush to get to him. And against the Niners, he was sacked five times in Week 12. Uh, but against Seattle, he looked a lot more decisive. Uh, he still made those, those Aaron Rodgers-esque throws that only he could make in those games when it mattered most. Uh, so, yeah, I think against the Niners, he's going to have to play in rhythm, take what the defense gives him, and he, he absolutely can't hold the ball and take uh, negative yardage. And I, I don't believe Aaron Rodgers is washed. I don't believe that. Oh! <laughs> I don't believe he's Aaron Rodgers of old, but, you know, he, he, we saw what he's still capable of last week. And I, I think um, as he gets, you know, more ingrained in his offense, he's going to be a lot better this game and next year. Uh, I, I think he's going to have one, a really great year as well. Well, Bowyer definitely disagrees with you. We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) I knew it. Listen, I want to switch sides to this other game because this game to me is more power versus speed. And when you're watching this offense in Tennessee and you watch Derrick Henry just run through people, what about this offense makes them so exciting? Man, uh, watching Roger Saffold is is, is fun. I mean, you don't say that about many guards, but, you know, I I couldn't believe the Rams let him go. And when you watch him with the Titans and he's, he's healthy, he's just bowling guys over. And I know, I know Henry gets uh, most of credit, but his offensive line has done an amazing job in the playoffs of, uh, of run blocking for him. And, and with Derrick Henry, you know, you, you want to crowd the box, but if you crowd the box and he gets past that second level, he has the speed to, uh, make those big runs as we, as we saw. And as the, that run game is going to be key, uh, against the Kansas City Chiefs because, you know, there's just, I don't think anybody can stop him on, on defense. So you're going to have to hold on to the ball and, and score with them. And that's what they did when they beat the Chiefs. Uh, during a regular season, I think Derrick Henry ran for 180 yards in that game as well. 
And the only hope the Titans have is um, is, is Henry is, is running well and they could keep up scoring with the Kansas City Chiefs. I think, Ted, that was you pandering to a former left guard is what you're going for. So first, <laughs> first you tell him that Rodgers isn't washed. Then you're saying it's the left guard is the reason for success. I see what you're doing here. I love it. Um, so Tennessee found a way to do something that basically nobody had done in slow down Lamar Jackson. Now they face Patrick Mahomes. Just the, you know, the easy draw that they get from Brady to Lamar and now to face Patrick Mahomes. You said there's no slowing him down. It certainly looked like it last week when he was putting 51 on the Houston Texans, but Tennessee's defense is pretty impressive, Ted. Is is there something that anyone could do to slow down Patrick Mahomes from going to the Super Bowl? I mean, the only way you could do it, and it's just a, such a stock answer, but you, you're going to have to pressure him with four guys because he blitz. He, he He's really good against the blitz, and uh, if you compromise your coverage, as we've seen, the Chiefs just have too much speed, and um, it's, it's really a pick your poison type of deal. You, if you you know you double um, you doubled Kelsey, Hill's gonna have single coverage. If you try to double both of them, one of the other guys like Sammy Watkins could beat you. There, there's just so much there's so much in the Chiefs' offense, and then you have Andy Reid designing these crazy screens that he could throw at you, you know, out of nowhere. So it's just yeah, I, I don't know how you stop this, this offense. To be honest. Well, uh, it should be two great games to watch. I'm hoping that they're tight and we have a lot of fun on Sunday. As we did last year for Championship Sunday, it was insane from start to finish, and I hope we have that again. Last thing for you, Ted, uh, I don't know how closely you've had a chance to look at what the Vikings did this year and the success they had on offense. Uh, I'm curious what you think about their direction, because I've gotten a few tweets and emails saying that we were being too um, grim about their future here with a team that's... Uh, getting on the older side, and Kirk Cousins has sort of already had his best year, and it's going to be hard to repeat. Um, but do you see something with the Vikings that would indicate, yeah, they'll continue to be a good team, or would you think that they would start to slide back a bit? Well, I mean, they have continuity going for them, and I, you know, I'm sure they have some big decisions to, um, coming up with their secondary. There might be a lot of turnover. Uh, where you know the the uh, coaching staff can have turnover, but you have Zimmer there. At least, and I think they're gonna. I mean, they haven't hired an offense coordinator yet, right? And I no, think they have. The, they're gonna they're gonna try to stick with the same system, probably. So I think continuity is the biggest thing, and um, hopefully, Kirk Cousins can continue his strong play and not have to switch to another system and have to spend another year learning learning that system. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Cousins has some weapons around him, but they really need to upgrade that offensive line. And um, yeah, they have continuity going for them, and I mean, they, you know are consistently one of the, uh, the the better teams in NFL. So, yeah, they have that to go up for them. All right, follow him on Twitter at FB underscore Film Analysis, Ted Wynn. And if there's a must-read piece, go to his pinned tweet. It's How to Watch Football Like an Expert, an article that you did for The Athletic that is excellent to learn more about how to watch the game uh, like the football tape grinders do. So, Ted, always great to catch up with you, man. Enjoy the games. Appreciate you, uh, appreciate you having me on. Yep, for sure. That's uh, Ted Wynn. I discovered him now. He's famous uh, as it goes. So, um, all right, a lot there, Alex. Uh, what stuck out to you the most about what we talked about with Ted? I think that talking about that game, you know, he was talking about how they're going to have to get Aaron Jones going. And, and for me, and I had said this last week, but I really did feel like the Niners and the Vikings were the two best teams. And that was going to be like the clash of the two best. And this week going forward, he's right, man. If they don't get Aaron Jones going, that's going to be a long day for Aaron because he already did that once.
Are we, are we giving the Packers any shot here? I mean, they still have A.A. Ron, and he a. can a. have Ron. he can have these flashes of excellence like he did last uh, week, where he was just flat out amazing. But that was against Seattle. Their defense is mediocre. This is a defense that is so powerful and so quick and so physical and fast. And we saw that against the Vikings. Yeah, get Aaron Jones going. Well, the Vikings couldn't even get Delvin Cook going, even to the slightest bit, no matter what they did. I have a tough time with that one, seeing how Green Bay, outside of an otherworldly Aaron Rodgers performance, is going to hang with the San Francisco team. I agree. And I think that when you look back at last week's game with the Vikings and the Niners, dude, if they would have kept Akilah Witherspoon in the game, that's a whole different game. Like, that's a different animal. And I think that once they shored that up, it was like, man, they're, they're feeling good about themselves. And you look at Aaron, and, and at times he could do it, but I just don't know if he could do it without the threat of a run game. And really, I mean... Devontae Adams is going to be probably covered by Sherman. So, I mean, the chances that you're going to want to throw that way, dude, you better be on schedule. It's it's funny that you brought up that you felt like the Vikings and the 49ers were the two best teams because I saw a bunch of analytics people arguing with Packers fans about this very topic yesterday. And it's, it is an interesting conversation about whether the Vikings were actually better than the Green Bay Packers. But the Packers beat them twice and they end up 13 and three. But if you go position by position, and even if you look at some things like the overall PFF grades and a lot of the statistical measures and things like that, it's hard to make a case that Green Bay was actually a stronger team than the Vikings, but they have the difference maker, which is a dynamic quarterback who can get you out of tougher situations than Cousins. And, and that's where all of our conversations circle back to with this offseason and with the extension for Cousins is, can he make you better when you are in a mismatch? And the answer is almost always no. And yet with Rodgers, I would always crack the door open to them pulling off an upset and ending up in the Super Bowl because even washed Aaron Rodgers is special. He can make special throws down the field. He can make tight window throws anytime he wants. He's still a great athlete. Like Those plays that he can make down the field are just next-level exceptional. And I, I mean, that's why you pay him what you pay him. But I, I think that's why he could still be considered an elite quarterback because you know it's there. Right. And I agree with you that at times he can make the big plays, but I think that this team has already showed that they know how they're going to control him. They're going to contain yeah. him in that yeah. pocket, let him scurry around in there a little bit, and then just from all sides just collapse him in, and that's how you really contain him. And, you know, you're right, man. Like, there's so many questions about going forward with all these extensions and, you know, what's going to happen. And I think, and maybe you feel differently about this, but do you agree that Dalvin would be the first person on our list to be like, oh, we got to take care of this guy? So that's a, a hard one because you know, Delvin was the centerpiece of the entire offense this year. And if we're grading him on this year, how good was he? He was marvelous. Right. I mean, you could make a case that he's top three running back, him, Henry, and McCaffrey, top three player at his position. But when you're signing someone to a contract extension, you're looking forward and you're asking, okay, is he going to continue to be at this level? Is the position that irreplaceable that we need to pay him $15 million a year on the salary cap? Can we actually afford that with our salary cap? Which right now, I think that they're over the cap five. for next year. <laughs> yeah. They're like five over? Right. So that's not great. And uh, so you're asking, all right, who's going to have to go in order to fill the space with his uh, new cap hit and things like that in the future? All these questions make it a lot harder than, was he good? Of course he was great. But if we draft a quarter or a running back in the second round of this year's draft, 
that's maybe the best or second best player at the position now because no one uses first round picks on them. How different is that than what we just got from Delvin Cook? I think those are all the questions that you have to ask about a running back. Plus, you add the injury history to that. That that is true. I, I just worry more about eventually he's going to turn around and go, dude, what about me? Like, I was a lot of the steam that made this steam oh, yeah. go. You know what I'm saying? Oh, and yeah. He has a lot of right to turn around and be like, dude, I'm going into free agency. And I think that this is one of those things where if you see it and you're looking out in a crystal ball, you're like, how much does Dalvin mean to this offense? Well, personally, going forward, if you've already said, I'm keeping the same staff here, these guys aren't going anywhere. Well, I know that you're going to want to have Dalvin for a long time yes. then. Yep. Like, yep. It, and even if you can get a guy in the second round that's young and, and healthy, I've still seen Dalvin run people over not healthy. So I'm like, you know what? Uh-huh. I'll take an unhealthy Dalvin Cook. And not only that, the continuity that he has with this O-line and guys in place already and Diggs and Thielen. And, you know, we haven't even gone over to those, that, those positions yet. But when you talk about it, what he brings to this offense is huge. And the, t- the team is going to want to keep rallying around him. And he truly is a special talent. This is oh, no not question. just like a good running back who you could bring in somebody else and they would be the same. He is probably one of those once every five year type of players to be in the in the top three, but also to be able to run people over the way that he does, like you said, break tackles, turn throws behind the line of scrimmage into fifteen twenty yard gains. I mean, they they have someone on their hands who's really special. But if Delvin comes to you and says, "Well, you guys said I was the centerpiece of the offense. Everybody said it over and over and over again all last year. Well, I want to be paid like that. I want to be the highest paid running back in the NFL." I want to be higher paid than Ezekiel Elliott, and I think more than Zeke. Yeah, I think that that's more than Zeke. I think it's reasonable. I mean, if, you know, you're you're signing it a year later, and you're the same sort of value to your team as Zeke is to Dallas. I think you're asking for more, and that's where it becomes pretty dicey for the Vikings. Yeah, especially because, dude, that $90 million contract, you already paying the quarterback that, now you're paying the running back, you got receivers in here that are just getting a little disgruntled. And, yeah, you, you know Diggs dude. is not playing on this whole contract all the way, I don't I think. I know, dude, there's so many questions. And the problem is you have so much money tied up elsewhere that you're like, how am I going to free up all this money? You, and know, and, you know what I really wonder about is Mike Zimmer's power in making decisions going forward. Because you could tell by the fact that Anthony Barr's here that Mike made that call. Right. that he was desperate to have Anthony Barr back. He loves him. It was his first draft pick and all those things. But if we're just comparing what that cap hit is about to be with the production from Anthony Barr, you'd need a guy to be like a double-digit sack guy in order Easily. to deserve the, the type of money that Barr gets. Dude, and I was he, looking it up. Even I though I understand the, his value. Go ahead, sorry. No, I was looking up the rushers on our, on the team, on the Vikings team, and it said that like Barr, Kendrick, or not Barr, Hunter, and uh, Ev. And like between the three of them, it's like, a ton of money, mm-hmm. and you're like, dude, mm-hmm. I get why Daniil is obviously making this. Like, the scariest defensive end in the NFL right now. Yeah, no he question. deserves more. 100% agree with that. Ev, mm, okay, maybe not. We'll talk about that later. But Barr, dude, you're making so much money to be an edge rusher, and it's really no production there. Like, it, that had to be a Zimmer thing. Bring him back. He's continuity with his defense. Like, Kendricks, yep. I get paying Kendricks. Ton of money. Like, the dude is incredible. He's one of the greatest linebackers in the NFL Another right now. Another good deal for them, I think. Right. Huge. But then Barr, you're like, wait, what? No yeah, so way. Going forward here. Now, this year, they got a good deal on Barr with what they got from him and a $5.6 million cap hit. But going forward, 12.7 
15.5, 15.6, and they can't get out of it without a ton of dead cap money. So they are stuck with that. Unless they found a trade suitor for Anthony Barr who is going to make him a pure pass rusher, they are stuck with that cap hit for Anthony Barr. And that's where you make yourself uh, in, in a really tough situation with Delvin Cook because, of course, he's the centerpiece. Of course, he's a great player. And I even think with age curves, they say running backs fall off at 27, 28, 29. He's going to be 26, so you could get a few years before you even start to hit that age curve, assuming he stays healthy. But how are you going to find the cap space to pay him that much? That's where you're talking about sacrificing a lot off of the defense, probably starting a lot of younger players. Do you have to let go Anthony Harris to keep Delvin Cook? No, don't do it. Right? That's where that's where this offseason, and Dude. that's why when I get notes from people, guys, you're being pretty down on the future. Well, because there's a lot of really tough situations that there's not a whole lot they can do there. 100%. Now it's all making sense why the fans were like that everybody just blows the building up. Like, I get now why everybody's nervous because you're like, dude, there are some guys that you cannot let go. You cannot let Dalvin go, Anthony Harris, Kendricks, and after that, everybody can go. But you got to sign those two guys back. And how you do that while keeping this team in a championship caliber or a, a Super Bowl contending caliber, that is going to be tricky. All right, let's, let's take a break. You're right, it is, and we will have a lot of time to discuss it as well. Yeah. Uh, so let's take a break. We've got a Zolgad coming in. He heard there were hot routes, and they are so hot today. Blazing. We will run through the biggest questions uh, in the sport today. Also, later coming up, Mackie and Judd with Rami, you can bet from 4 to 6 that they will be discussing what has happened in Major League Baseball today. More uh, fallout from the cheating scandal with the Houston Astros. So uh, lots coming up here on the station today on Score North. Hey, everyone, it's Phil Mackey here. And a little over two years ago, my mom died way too young at the hands of a rare blood cancer. She left me with two pieces of advice. Be a good person and give back. So my mission is to help erase blood cancers from the planet. And I would love your help, Score North listeners, because on February 15th, we are participating in the Big Climb Minneapolis. 53 stories of stair climbing downtown Minneapolis. Proceeds benefiting the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Minnesota. MackieLLS.com to sign up and use the promo code Mackie to get on our team for just $20. Let's raise a bunch of money to knock out blood cancer. Join Team Mackie on February 15th at the Big Climb. MackieLLS.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Caller has questions. Blue 58! Blue 58! Go! And he wants your answers. Street! Red, red, red! Red Polly! Blue Poncho! In rapid fire fashion. Gun flex right stack. 394 dragon smoke. It's Hot Routes on Purple Daily. 588! 397! All right, welcome back to Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, Alex Boone, and Judd Zolgad enters the fray here. Jonathan Harrison producing, and the four of us are going to run through these questions that I've put together that we call Hot Routes. So ramp it up, Jonathan, and we will get started. 49ers Packers, fellas, is the best if you were a fan of football in the 90s. I mean, okay, it's not the best for Vikings fans for anything, but if you just grew up loving football, then when the 
Packers and 49ers played. It was Steve Young. It was Brett Favre. So many great names. So many great players. I want you guys, who all love 90s football, to give me some underrated key players in their epic matchups of the 90s. So, obviously, we're not talking about Favre. We're not talking about Steve Young. We know they're great. But these were great, great teams. So, players that you love that were kind of random that played in 49ers and Packers games of the 90s. Judd. I'm going to start you off with one from the Packers defensive lineman. Yes, I was some and he played some tackle. It was the greatest. Vonnie Holiday. Oh no, not Gilbert Brown. I thought you were going to say Gilbert Brown. Brown. Yeah. So did I. Vonnie Holiday had 37 Damn. and a half sacks in oh. 82 games between '98 and 2003. Vonnie Holiday was a hell of a player. Vonnie Holiday, we got I'm very excited. I want to get so am I. I am very disappointed. Gilbert With Brown. The, remember, he had the black eye shield, dude. He was <laughs> yes. incredible. Do you know who drafted Gilbert them. Brown, Alex Boone? Do you know who yeah, drafted the Vikings. him? The Vikings. And they did. let him go immediately because he was too fat. Hey, whoa, dude. Judd, you are off on the wrong foot today. You are off on the wrong foot. <laughs> I'm like Jose Altuve, man. Who do you got, oh, Alex? Who's, a tough one. Uh, I was going to say Gilbert Brown, and on the other side, I was going to say Merton Hanks because I was a huge the next Merton, thing. Yeah, dude, I was Great a huge neck. Merton Hanks fan, and also I was also everyone knows this. I was a huge Bryant Young fan, and I, I mean, I thought those two guys and Gilbert Brown was great, dude. I can't believe you didn't say Gilbert Brown. I definitely hurt my neck once trying to do the Did Merton you? Hanks thing where he oh, uh, his celebration. Great, great so incredible. That's right. Great that neck. was not a good idea. That injured me. <laughs> um, okay, Jonathan. Uh, mine would be uh, the <laughs> Packers running back Dorsey Levins in two oh, yeah. playoff, two straight playoff mm. games. They handed him the ball twenty-seven times in both those games, and he rushed for over a hundred yards and a touchdown in each of them. And there's also catching. A number of passes out of the backfield, too, but they lean on him heavily in those two playoff games. Dorsey Levins was a really good player. He was. Uh, I'm going to go, and there are many different ways you could go here, but one was uh, a versatile running back slash fullback for the 49ers who played for a bunch of different teams, Terry Kirby. They used to use him all the time. They would line him up in the old pro set split. They would throw him little five-yard passes from Steve Young to jack up those completion percentage numbers. He was uh, He was great. Also, Robert Brooks, maybe too much of a star for this, but I I thought he just didn't get talked about a whole lot. Robert Brooks is one of the really good wide receivers of the era. He was great. And um, Keith McKenzie, too. Remember Keith McKenzie? He was another one of those guys, those, those big defensive linemen. He was pretty good for the Packers. How about Garrison Hurst? Too big a star? Say Garrison, oh, Garrison, Garrison Hurst was Garrison great. Hurst he was a star, though. Yeah, he, he was a yeah, star. He, he was, was a too big. Good. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I, thought, I, I was going to say that, but I was like, man, he was kind of a big Ro- piece Robert me. Brooks probably qualifies there as well. The Irks, grave digger, Irks though, man. Pretty good. Gilbert Brown. Dude, the grave digger. I used best. to love watching him play. He was so... I was like, man, one day I'm going to block that guy. Thank God I didn't have to. That guy was huge. All right, guys, if the Titans somehow beat the Chiefs, it'll be one of the biggest upsets ever, I think, in the entire NFL postseason for a team to come out of nowhere with their backup quarterback and beat Patrick Mahomes, the best player in football. I want you guys to give me a historical comparison to what this year's Titans have done. Is there a team that reminds you historically of the Tennessee Titans? Alex? Oh, you want me to go first? Go first. I went first. I was going to go first. I was going to say, as soon as I thought of the Titans, the first thing that hit my mind was the Broncos back when they had Terrell Davis. And I was like, man, they used to love just... Just running. 
run the ball and then just throw off of that. Run the ball. And then I got to talk to him one time, and he was like, dude, it was so fun. Because he was like, every other play, the ball was coming to me. I was like, dude, that had to be so fun. He's like, that was fun. Do I take a lot of hits, though? You yeah, know? did not have a long career because of I'm how like, fun that was. Yeah, I was sitting there, I go, man, I really didn't even think about that. I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to bring that up like that. God, I feel so <laughs> stupid now. Like, But that was the first thing I thought of. And it's just the way that they run their offense off that play action and the way that they run the ball. And their offensive line is kind of gritty dudes. And they're just up there having fun. And one of them's the boss hog. Just reminded me of that old Broncos with, like, Mark Schlereth. And <laughs> true story, true story. We used to get our jerseys cut. You can get them cut any way you want. And I used to go in and I used to be like, hey, remember Slareth? Remember how you used to have these big rings around him? Like, you could see his whole shoulder pads. They were like, yeah, I was like, I want that. And they were like, you know, when he retired, they outlawed that. So now you can't get your jerseys cut in anymore. I was so pissed. But we used to try and rig it up every week. I used to love the old Broncos, dude. Really? I didn't know that. All right. I'm going to go back in the way back time machine. I'm going to take you guys back to 1979. This is a team that made the Super Bowl, represented the NFC, fell short against the Pittsburgh Steelers. But a 9-7 and team coached by Ray Malavasi, and the quarterback was Vince Ferragamo, the Los Angeles Rams, who made a run through the playoffs that went like this. In the divisional game, they upset the Cowboys in Dallas 21-19. They then played the upstart Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the NFC That's title right. game and won 9-0. Is that Doug Williams, the uh, yes. starting quarterback there? Doug Williams. The 79 Rams. Wow. That's great. Did you watch that game? Oh, heck yeah. Dude. I'm old, man. I'm 50. I was about to say, you. I didn't, I didn't think you would have been watching like football back then. Uh, How old are you? I'm 50. I started watching football when I was like eight years old. My first, my first memory of any game, although it's very unclear, is the Vikings' last Super Bowl appearance, January of '77 against Oakland. Really? Mm-hmm. That is so. When you say like old, that is so. Uh, so, what do you mean by like vaguely remember? It's like, hazy. You, my parents like were how watching. Hazy? Like my like my parents were watching, and I was like, oh, I'll sort of watch this, and then I went and did something else, and then. But the seventy by by the seventy nine Super Bowl, I was all in. You were all in. in. That's similar to well, how I remember the first Bills Super Bowl, the wide right Super Bowl. It was like I was five, so I have some recollection of it, and how sad everyone was at the end, but not necessarily the rest of the game. How about you, Jonathan? Who are the Titans like? Uh, mine would be the 2007 Giants who went on to win the Super Bowl only because of their quarterback. At the time, you had no trust in Eli Manning because he was four years in. He still had a 50% completion percentage. He led the league in interceptions that year, and they came into the playoffs as a five seed. Went on the road to Tampa, beat them 24-14. Went on the road to the number 1 Dallas Cowboys, beat them 21-17. Then had to go on the road again to Green Bay in Green Bay and beat them 23-20. Then faced the undefeated New England Patriots. Yeah, that one is wild. That is one of the craziest runs. Uh, I'm going to go with a team that didn't make it there, but totally took everybody by surprise. And they played a real tough form of football, and they loved to run a lot, and they had a really good defense. And that would be the 1996 Carolina Panthers. They were all, only in their sure. second year as an expansion team. They had gone 7-9 and nine their first year. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they go 12-4, and four, which I know that Tennessee has not gone 12-4. and four, But in terms of the way that they took everyone by storm, totally shocked the league by getting to the championship game. That was a fun run for the Carolina Panthers. Kind of reminds me of the same thing. John Fox, right? No. It was uh, Dom Capers. Dom Capers. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, John right. Fox took over later and also went to a divisional round. And Co- Jacksonville, Conference Jacksonville and Carolina both, and had, both had early success, right? 
Yeah. Has expansion yep. teams. Jacksonville yep. had the same type of deal with Coughlin. Yes. And I think they lost to Denver. Okay. Um, in maybe, what, 98 or something like that? Sounds right. Our next hot route. John Filippo is back, everybody, in the division. Watch out. <laughs> He's got another job after being fired twice in the last two years, but yet no blacks can become head coaches in the league. Whatever. So uh, he's going to work for the Bears. That's hilarious. The Bears pretty much are hopeless at their quarterback position with Mitch Trubisky. Uh, I want you guys to give me the most hopeless franchises right now. Just two, three teams that just have no reason to suit up next year whatsoever. Ready? Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Cincinnati. Yep. Dude, what is going on? But their hope is Joe Burrow, though, right? Dude, no reason for all, hope. You can't put all your eggs in that basket. They practice below a freeway. You're right. Yeah. And next to it. a steel mill. We were there, remember? Yeah. And it was like, dude, what's that black smoke? They're like, oh, that's just every Wednesday, dude. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> what? Are you serious? They're like, yeah, you get used to the smell, too. I was like, oh, my God. This is just. And I remember Justin Smith used to tell me stories. I was like, there's no way. He'd be like, dude. They used to tape the lines on. Sure, at the end of the day, they just rip it up. I was like, shut up. He said, well, you practice at a regular park, dude. Like, there's people playing next to you on the playground. I was like, wow. It's bad. It's bad down there. Yeah, it's bad. Okay, fair enough. Judd? I will go Jets then. Yeah. They're, they're hopeless. The ownership is terrible. Gaze is not the answer, but the problem is... He's going to be fired, and the next guy that takes over is going to step into that um, cluster mess. So I'll go with the Jets. I had the Jets and also the Giants. Their GM, I just have no faith in just him putting together uh, a successful organization there. But an underrated one I had was the Rams, and it's all predicated on how Jared Goff does next season. Because if he does not have a good season, then you would assume they have to move on from him. And they have no cap space, and they have no draft picks from first round draft picks That's from now until he turns. And the That's division is one. good. Yeah. The division is not going anywhere. 49ers, Seahawks, and Arizona is coming. I'm going to say that at least for now, our buddy Matthew J. Patricia in Detroit <laughs> does not inspire any sort of confidence. And I, the only reason I picked Detroit over Jacksonville is I think Jacksonville will go one in fifteen and draft Trevor Lawrence, and that's reason for hope. Like yeah. the moment they fire Doug Marone, it'll be like, oh, there's a ray of hope uh, for the future. But sticking with Matt Patricia is just locking themselves into what six and ten next year, and then they yeah. fire him, and then it's just Matt Stafford's another year older, and yet he's got a big contract. There's no way out of that in Detroit, so you will continue to be Detroit. I'm sorry. How about another one too would be Tampa because they kind of want Jameis to come back, and it's like, dude, he threw 30 interceptions yep. this year. It's, if Jameis uh, is back, there's no reason for hope. No, because dude, it, it, <laughs> yeah. I'm how about, how about I'm Cleveland still, still too? I'm I mean, still I, thinking, yeah, Stefanski's yeah, yeah. not exactly well, walking wait, wait. into a haven. Uh, but yeah. what if they get rid of OBJ? I feel like that kind of opens it up a little bit. Like, hey, we got a little bit yeah. of the chaoticness well, right, out of maybe here. New culture, a little bit there. Do you think Over? they do that, Alex? We t- we talked earlier. We think we think you should. Yeah, we should All be right. like, yo, bro, listen, rules are rules. <laughs> this is funny. It's not even so. A lot of people have written that Beckham slapped a cop in the rear. It's not a cop. It's a security, security officer. guard. Right. And that's not so even what it's about. It's, yeah. Anyway, it's about the, the being down there different. causing the scene. Yeah. Right. Dude, that's too much. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous. But it's kind of a different the way it's been painted. Like, oh, he slapped oh, yeah. a cop. Like, no, nah, yeah, <laughs> Like, he literally, not. like, fought a cop. You're like, whoa, dude, no. Plus, he did not. having dealt with some security folks at stadiums, they can get a little bit into themselves in terms oh, of their sure. power. Mm-hmm. You just can't slap him in the butt. No, you cannot. No, you cannot. <laughs> and that I have not ever tried. Um, 
You'd Next like question to, here. Yes. Baltimore right tackle Orlando Brown is in the Pro Bowl. He's replacing Trent Brown, oddly enough. Uh, remember, he dropped in the draft because he had a hilariously bad combine that looked like you, Judd. I mean, he ran so oh. slow that you might have been able to move faster. And yet, no. turns out, the fat guys don't have to be super fast. I want you guys to give me your favorite player who you thought was a bad draft pick and was going to be complete trash and then turned out to be really good. Who wants to start? You want me to start? Go ahead. Okay, I'm going to give you a bit of a spin on the question because this was not a player that we thought was bad, but the circumstances made us all say, whoa, that's weird. Kevin Williams, and here's why. He was, the Vikings had the seventh pick in the 2003 draft. That was the draft where, because the Vikings were cheap, and this is why, they allowed not one but two picks to lapse while they, so they fell back to nine. So in the meantime, Jacksonville takes Byron Leftwich. Uh, Carolina takes an offensive tackle, who I'm sure Booney knows, Jordan Gross, right? Mm-hmm. And so at that point in time, then the Vikings are like, okay, now we'll take the ninth pick because we got to pay him less. They took Kevin. So we were all like, whoa, hold on a second here. You just let a quarterback and an offensive tackle go, and you took a lineman who at that point in time you might have heard of but wasn't some Pro Bowl in the making. So that was one where there was a lot of um, of skepticism. Mm-hmm. Kevin turned out to be a great player. Yeah, great player. But he was a guy who was who could have gone at seven, and instead the Vikings waited till nine. That's fair. All right, so I took a little spit on it too, and I have two guys. And this these two guys, one of them was a head-scratcher but has just been doing it forever, and that is Andre Smith. And I just don't know how he keeps like getting on a team. Going, is that a back, sort of a backhanded compliment? Of maybe like, people keep keep paying maybe. you, and I don't know how. I, yeah, <laughs> there you go. That's fair. And then my number two, my number two. I used to see this guy all the time, and every time I would just stare at him, like, dude, how? Like, no. And you're, it's going to probably take you guys like completely by surprise. But Sebastian Janikowski was oh, drafted yeah. in the first round. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And he ended up playing. Like I was, I remember when they drafted him. I was like, "There is no way this is ever going to pay off." <laughs> number one, because it's the Raiders. Number two, because it's a kicker. He's my hero, man. Yeah, dude. Like twenty five years hero. later, I shook his hand and I was like, "Dude, you're a beast." Like seriously, <laughs> you are a goat. I, I mean, he was like, "Thanks, man." I was like, "Dude, how you have done this and been so incredible your whole career? Like you were the guy that people were like, just be like him somewhat, and it'd be okay." And he, I mean, dude was great. Jonathan. Mine's a bit of a spin, too. It, it, it's going back to the Detroit Lions when they drafted Calvin Johnson. That was their third wide receiver in four years that they drafted with their number one overall pick. And it's just like, you sure you want to try that again oh, sure, after yeah. the previous two didn't work? Yeah. Fair and enough. He turned out to be one of the best wide receivers in the division. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you mine. It's, uh, it actually might surprise you, but it's Adam Thielen. So when I first got here, 2016... I got here at the end of training camp for the final preseason game and then, you know, started into the season from there. And of course, there was all the madness going on with Teddy Bridgewater's knee and everything else. But I noticed reporters kept going over to Adam Thielen and I looked at him and I looked at his numbers from 2015. I was like, oh, okay. I know why they're, I know why they're doing that. He's like an easy white guy to talk to, right? Like he's a good talker and everything else. Okay, like that's fine. I'm not going to talk to him until he actually does something. And then he did. I, you know, I was skeptical. I mean, he's undrafted and just had been a special teams guy. And I was like, all right, I'm not going to worry too much about, about him. I'm going to focus on the guys who play more. And then Diggs gets hurt. Diggs get hurt yeah. in, in that, uh, that game against the, 
what was it Houston, and then he goes off, and uh, you great. know after that he's been great. But I was skeptical at first, and boy, he turned out to be a great player. Uh, the Vikings, by the way, is our last question here, have a very interesting offseason ahead. So I want you guys to give me your untouchable player list. So if anyone called you, let's say Bruce Arians calls and he says, we're looking for a whatever, and you say, no, get out of here, Bruce. Get. Who would your untouchables be, Judd? Oh, you want me to start again? Sure. I'm only going to give you one name because everybody else, everybody else, I don't care about. And, and in fact, I'm going to have to bring this guy back, but he's untouchable because he proved as long as Zim is here, he can work for Zim. Dan Bailey. I want. I want no more kicking. I want no more kicking controversy. Dan Bailey's a hardened kicker. That's amazing. He knows what he's doing. That's great. No, seriously. If you call me about anybody else on this team, I'll trade him. But Dan Bailey, I found. I finally found the guy that can work for Zim, and the head games don't bother him. Dan, congratulations. Wow, I agree. Not expect that. that. I, I did. There's an angle. The, That's why we bring you in here, Judd. Judd, you're the best. Thank you. Give a lot of thought. Uh, okay, who's your list, Alex? <laughs> I think there's two guys. You know who my first is going to be, so I'll tell you my second is going to be Kendricks. And I think that everybody else on the team, if you had to go for a good trade, I would trade them. But I think that those two guys between Dalvin and Kendricks, you just can't lose those two guys are the most important. Jonathan? The only one on my list is Daniil Hunter, and that's it because of his age, what he's able to do at the defensive end spot. Kyle's trying to trade him right now. Everybody else would be <laughs> movable for the right price. I just made the case that anybody would be worth trading to get to a tug of Viola because there's nothing that's as valuable yeah. as what a quarterback can do for your franchise. That that was my point. I wasn't trying to disparage Mr. Hunter, who's one of the best at his position ever at this age. And, of course, I definitely wouldn't want to do that with those muscles and arms and the fact that I've <laughs> talked to him fairly regularly. Um, but uh, he, friendly talker, he was on my media favorites list for, for this uh, year. So, great keep, guy. Keep your it's back going. But, I really love you. But, <laughs> Zimmer developed two of the best defensive ends in the NFL from a fourth-round pick and a third-round pick. What's to say that they can't draft other players with high-end potential and make them good at that position? Maybe not that good, but good. And what you can't just develop off of a seventh-round pick or a fifth-round pick or whatever is a quarterback prospect as good as Tua. So that was my point of saying every position player I would be probably willing to trade to get that quarterback prospect. And if it blows up in my face, then we'll tank and draft somebody else's quarterback. That was my point. So nobody is really the answer for me if it pertains to getting a quarterback. If they're not getting a quarterback, I would say you have to find a way to make things good with Stephon Diggs. Because even when Adam Thielen was out, Stephon Diggs still dominated. He's just truly one of the best receivers in the NFL. And you just don't find those guys. Here's proof. The Vikings. They draft one in the first round. Total bust. They keep bringing in different guys. Oh, uh, Tavares King, Jordan Taylor, Kendall Wright. These guys will fill that number three spot. And they all stink. And so it's very, very hard to find someone as talented as Stephon Diggs. I would want to make things right with him if I were the Vikings. All right, that is uh, that is your hot routes. But do you have a comment on that, Judd? Do we th- do we think Diggs? How happy do we think he is right now? Like Not on happy a, at all. one to ten or something? Like on a scale of trade me right now to let's see how things go to I love it here. I think right now it's at a um, 
I really want out. Yeah, I'm probably say, voicing I, I, my opinion. I mean, we I mean, talked really about this the other day. It's not though, because we talked about it the other day. And these run first offenses, people are going to get pissed. And mm-hmm. as much as everyone's like, "Dude, we're not going to get upset. We're all just going to go with the flow. We're here to win the games." Well, you not you don't win the big one. Then everyone turns around and is like, "Well, I didn't really have that good of a year, anyways." And if we'd have maybe spread the ball around a little more, like I just think that when you have a ton of guys like this on the team, you have to de- be able to deal with the backlash when they're upset and they're like, "Hey, man." We could have won more games. We could have done more. I could have been more part of this offense. He's and he's not wrong when he says that. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's the way this offense is. And going forward, it's gonna, I think, start affecting people in free agency. Like, if you want to bring in a big name, they're gonna be like, well, everybody's gonna give the ball to him. Am I really gonna get the ball? Am I gonna do anything? What about defensive players? Now they're thinking like, well, what happens if you know Kirk has a bad game? Are we gonna get? You know, we have to keep doing this. Offensive linemen too. I mean, that was one of the things that I remember in free agency. I was like, man, Teddy Bridgewater. Everybody loves this guy. I mean, everybody that I talked to was like, bro, if you can play with Teddy, go play with Teddy. I was like, okay, well, this must be great. I mean, I imagine what they're gonna be hearing from other people. Like, hey, you know, if he gets hit a couple times, it could go sideways. It's just there's so many. Possibility. And you'll and, get blamed for it, by the right. way. Right. <laughs> the offensive lineman, we know that. Right. Can you blame Diggs, though? I mean, he's a great player, one of the great receivers in the NFL right now. I mean, no, no, no. I, I can't. I mean, and we've seen this bubbling underneath the surface the whole time. The fact that, you know, Diggs, even against uh, Chicago, goes over to the sideline. He's very frustrated. We see him in the game against New Orleans looking very frustrated. And I respect the guy that he burns hot and he plays with emotion, all those things. But I think that there's been more underneath the surface for quite a while that, uh, you know, it's been this frustration of the team's direction, the run-first offense, the fact that they've all believed in the locker room that they were a Super Bowl-caliber team. And to have it not happen last year and not happen this year after they fixed so many different things that went wrong in 2018, there was a feeling in Santa Clara after that game that guys had no answers left. That it was, so what now? And everyone's like, I don't know. You know, I like you, you didn't get it done with this team that was so good. It's so talented across the board. Pro bowlers, all pros, the right offensive system, freaking Gary's here. And yet you still couldn't get it done when, you know, push came to shove. And there were a lot of people looking around like, I don't know. I don't really have an answer for you. It, when they missed the playoffs in 2018, it was very clear what they needed to do. They needed to get more weapons on offense. They needed to get the system that fit Cousins. And those were the answers. There aren't answers now. And if you're someone like Stephon Diggs and your team threw the third fewest passes in the NFL, and that's exactly how your head coach wanted it. Right. And the quarterback is getting way the hell more money than everybody else to be a guy that they limit, to be a guy that they don't want to be the centerpiece of the offense. It's just a very weird feeling. And there's also, in my mind, too, from being in there, a lot of tension just from even like players to players and looking around of like, how do we feel about the coach? How do I feel about my teammates now that I was so close with before, but we're kind of looking at each other like, is it your fault? Is it my fault? You know, it's not us, it's you. And that's, that's quite a bit different from how it was just a couple of years ago. And you talk about a team that, like you said, thought that they had done all the things to get the right pieces in place. We've gone out and done this. We're going to be healthy. Like, dude, they... <laughs> That, that team really was. They were the, the second-best team in the NFC. And they just – I think if they'd have stuck to the game plan more and just ran the ball more – I mean, dude, we talked about it. The first person that blinks is going to lose. And they blinked. They blinked quickly. Yep. And they always did. 
Like this but version, why? this version of the team always did. I think it was because of what was bubbling under the surface, frustration in a lot of different areas that everybody was quickly willing to be like, "All right, whatever, it's not me." I mean, it's just had this feeling for two years since Kirk got here, really. I mean, or or since things started to go down the other side of the mountain with Kirk last year. That through a lot of 2018, it was like, well, okay, we're still in the playoff race. We can make the postseason. That'll kind of solve everything. We'll just grind through this. And then when they missed, it felt like every man for himself was kind of the mentality. And then after week four, they seemed to come together. But that was really just playing the Giants. Right. right, and playing... Well, they beat up on a lot teams. of bad teams. Yeah, really when when bad they teams. played good teams, aside from the Saints, they usually lost. Yeah, uh, Let's take a break and we'll come back. And I want to talk a little more about, now, uh, from different positions, where the most focus should be outside of the quarterback. And I wrote a piece today about the future of the quarterback position for the Vikings that we should discuss as well. Matthew Collar, former NFL player Alex Boone, and Judd Zolged, not a former NFL player. We'll be right right back. We'll be right back here. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. Jonathan here with the Score North. Download join Team Mackey and Score North at this year's Big Climb Minneapolis on Saturday, February 15th at the Capella Tower. As we raise money to fight blood cancer, donate to our team or join Team Mackey for just $20 when you use the promo code Mackey when you register to climb. For more information, visit scorenorth.com keyword climb. Over at scorenorth.com, Matthew Collar has the first part of his future of the franchise series, starting with the quarterback breaking down Kirk's. Kirk Cousins' career year. He also makes the case for and against extending Kirk in the case for and against drafting a quarterback. That's over at scorenorth.com and is the first part of a series going through the Vikings position by position as we lead up to the NFL draft. That's been your Score North download. Now back to the final segment of the day of Purple Daily. Oh, so much going on in sports today. Matthew Collar, Judd Zolged, and former Viking Alex Boone here. Another half an hour of Purple Daily, and then Mackie and Judd with Rami will be coming up uh, at 4 o'clock with so much to talk about with Major League Baseball. It looks like a trade might be on the horizon for D'Angelo Russell. Uh, that seems to be gaining steam. What's going which on is crazy. And also just reading that a player for the women's Gophers team has just decided to quit the program. So, wow. no big deal. Yeah, just, uh, you know, regular things. <laughs> Another Thursday, Alex. Um, so, uh, the other day we talked about Courtney's tweets that she got from people and their biggest fears for this offseason. Um, I'm doing an entire series called The Future of the Vikings. I do it every year at the end of the season uh, and look at every single position, the biggest questions, how people performed this year by the numbers and so forth, and what the storylines might be going forward. And I wonder from you guys, aside from the quarterback, which I wrote today at our free website, scorenorth.com, aside from the quarterback, what would be the position that is at the top of your list that you have the most questions about that you really want to know how is this going to play out? How are they going to fix this? How are they going to change this? What are they going to do? What is the first one, Judd, that comes to your mind? Okay, this one is not a issue as far as a problem goes, but it's going to be a problem of what to do here because I'm convinced you can't pay both guys what they either are making currently or deserve, the safety position. What do you do there? Harrison Smith is a great player. He's 30. He's been a great player, but he paid really, really well. And I think he, I think you need, if you have one great safety, that's awesome. Two great safeties to me is a luxury, especially when the guys around them, the cornerbacks, are disintegrating. Right. So do you, and I looked it up today, I believe Anthony Harris is 28. 
do you pay Harris and either get Harrison Smith to take a pay cut or jettison him? Or if if Anthony Harris, because I think he's going to get paid, if somebody comes along and says, we're signing him, do you say, well, we're invested in Harrison Smith, we love him, too bad. That's the one. Because I don't think you can have two guys playing safety who are going to be paid as much as those two are by somebody in 2020. How do you think they'll handle it, Alex? I, I think that... They're going to have to pay Anthony. I think you're right. I think when you have one great safety dude, that's awesome. But when you can have two, and Anthony doesn't get a lot of respect, but he should because he led the league in interceptions with Stephon Gilmore and Tredavious White. And what that means to opposing quarterbacks and how that can shut down the field. And then you have the box player in Harrison Smith. I mean, dude, come on. That is too – I mean, it's like – that's like a step above the Legion of Boom almost, in my opinion. Because, dude, with Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor, remember them back then? Those guys were ferocious. God, they were ball hawks, too. And they weren't afraid to stick their nose in and get physical with people. Like, that's what makes defenses so tough. And people don't know this, but offensive line and quarterbacks read a, a defense by their safety. Mm-hmm. The more yeah. your safety can keep to himself, like two great safeties that Minnesota has – makes it so much harder on us to be like, all right, where's it coming from? Because you see it all the time. Harry's down at the line at the last second. There comes Anthony and Harry, and they're rolling, and you're like, dude, that's – and people don't realize how ballsy that is to do it at the snap because you have to be sometimes in the middle of the field, and you got to run from the line of scrimmage, and you got to get all the way back there. Like, that is tough to do. And if you – and a lot of teams don't pick up on that right away, and that's why this defense starts just crashing down on you, and they don't even have to do it with a blitz. So I have two big questions here about Anthony Harris in this situation. Number one is, how would they make the space to sign people? That's, I mean, That's my question. How can, you pay, how can like, you pay them both? I have OverTheCap.com up right now, which is where you can find all the Viking salaries. And team cap space is negative $5.4 million. <laughs> We're negative, guys. <laughs> We're negative. Yeah, the, people say the show needs to stop being so negative. How about the cap situation? Ooh. That'll show them. Uh, so we know that Xavier Rhodes is probably going to be gone. And if they just straight up cut him, you can earn maybe around $8 million, if I'm doing the quick math fast here. You can restructure Linval Joseph. You can cut Riley Reef if you want to. There's another $8, 9000000 million. You can move on from Everson Griffin if he opts out. Or I think you could just straight up cut him. And, and so you can create a bunch of cap space here by removing mostly good players from the roster, which you try not to do, or restructuring. But I'm not sure that it opens up enough cap space for what Anthony Harris should want. Like you mentioned, he led the NFL in interceptions. This wasn't a guy who was just a nice little product of what Harrison Smith was doing. The best safeties in the league are getting around $15 million. That's what he should be asking for. Tyron Matthew, $14 million a year. Landon Collins, who, wow, that turned out to be a bust. Eddie Jackson, those those guys are getting Earl Thomas about fourteen to fifteen million dollars a year. So you're talking about a salary cap hit that'll be even higher for Anthony Harris if you pay him market value than someone like Xavier Rhodes is right now. And then you also have to sign other guys for the future as well, like potentially your quarterback, potentially your running back. And there's only so many guys that you could just send off the island and still have a decent football team. Harris is one of the tougher ones. I would also factor this in, too, that a lot of guys signed team-friendly deals when they thought they were going to win the Super Bowl. No one should think they're going to win the Super Bowl now, right? And so if you're Anthony Harris, you're saying, well, why should I take the Kendricks deal that was super team-friendly at the time? Why should I take the Hunter deal that was team-friendly at the time when, you know, we're just kind of another team that's pretty good but not great? 
You shouldn't, especially if you're not going to be able to hit free agency. I mean, when you hit free agency, that look at the Landon Collins deal. Like that is proof right there of what free agency does. You get overpaid. It is incredible. Like what happens? And so if you're Anthony, you're like, hey man, listen, I don't take a team friendly deal because you're right. We had a nice window going, and now we're not sure if that window's closed where we are. But I know that I am extremely important to that window. So now you're going to have to pay me like it. And I think that when you look at this, you're like, dude, there are some guys that are going to have to come way down, and it's. It's part of the process, too, and you have to wonder how many guys are going to say no. Nah, man, this, this isn't... Well, right, because, you know, I thought... Is it taking less? I thought we saw it with uh, the way uh, Kyle Rudolph handled his situation last summer, where two years ago, coming off that 2017, there was just such a good feeling from everybody. Yeah, we'll sign our deals, like, get me right. locked up. I'm, right. not, I'm not sitting out. We want to go win the Super Bowl. Even Terrence Newman tried to come back that year because he thought, well, we've got a chance to win the Super Bowl in 2018. I want to keep playing. Terrence tried to come yep. back again. I know. Two they weeks did, ago. Terrence. That's why he wouldn't Incredible. answer our calls. Um, so, <laughs> But last year, Rudolph was much more you know, ornery about well, his he deal. He flat out said, I'm yeah. not taking a pay cut. That's right. And I think that was a sign of things to come with the way that players are going to handle this. So if you go to Linval Joseph and you say, hey, man, you know, we could cut you, he might say, all right, well, somebody else yes. will sign me. So if you want to do that, go ahead. And the same thing with any of these guys who could restructure. Riley Reef would be one of them. And, you know, these deals are just starting to add up. They have here, I don't know, almost a dozen players who are making over $9 million. And eventually... You have to do something there. There's obvious cuts like Shamar Stefan is making over $5 million. You can move on from him, but you have to replace these guys. More importantly, from their aspect, there has to come a time that you pay for for last uh, spring time, and you tell people in that building who like these players, sorry, we can't do it. Yeah, You know, at some point in time, you've got to say to a, a Anthony Barr type of guy, we can't afford you, sorry, just leave. Just go somewhere else. You're going to get paid. With with him, he can't. No, like, no, with, with his no. Situation. But I, but I, but I'm saying Anthony Harris is a g- really good player, right? Yeah. But he's the type of guy that you're going to eventually have to say, "We just can't do this." Sorry. Like you're going to get paid too much by take your pick, Pittsburgh. They're going to pay you a ton. We can't do that. Man, who's playing safety then? That, right. And who's then, playing no, the no, corners? Who's playing corners? Like that's. I'm, what I'm more saying. worried about the corners, guys. Well, I, you. I agree with you, but I think that if you could keep the safeties intact, they're going to make up more in a Zimmer defense in the long run because what is it all about? It's all about being exotic. It's all about being the next guy to come up with the next greatest defense. And what does that entail? Your safeties being on point. Like There's times where you can let your cornerbacks be like zone. Hey, we're going to go zone. But the safeties, that's what you need. You need those guys to always be on point because they are your last defense. They're your most important, discreet uh, weapons on the field, and when you have guys like a Harrison Smith who's not afraid to body anybody up, right? Like I would, I would put Harrison Smith in the category of I bet he could deplete Derrick Henry if Harrison Smith got pissed off enough and was moving fast enough, he could take out Derrick Henry by himself. Like that is just not seen, dude. Earl Thomas, we saw him get spun around in circles. Right. Like this is this is the. This is what you need. You need a good defense, and right now they're going to be hurting. You can let, and to, to your point, you can let a Linval go because you have guys behind him who are willing to step up. You can let a Shamar go, dude. Their defensive line depth is incredible. Like the guys that they roll in there, uh, Stephen Weatherly, those guys have stepped up in a huge way. They've come. He's another free agent, so he might end up going too. And, and 
there, now, now you're starting to run into problems. Like when your guys <laughs> but, are depth, but yeah. depth players that yeah. are like really filling major yeah. roles. Like those are the guys that you're like, hey, listen, we get it. Anthony's important to us, but so is he because he is a backup player that comes in. And guys take a they they all he's, he's just a backup. He comes out and he comes out with like five sacks. You're like, dude, that's that's big. But Boone, my point is this: I'm letting you pick one. If you're if you're Mike and you come to me and I'm Rick or Rob. I'm I'm not saying that both those safeties are gone. What I'm saying is this is this is the time now, unlike a year ago, where you have to tell me which one you want. I, you can't have both. I'm 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 allowing you to keep one. I just can't pay two guys that much in my cap in my current cap hell. So you're saying I can only keep one safety? I'm saying you can keep one. No matter who I tell you, you can cut. Like if I'm like, yo, I'll let you cut, uh, Linval. You would be like, dude, I can only keep one safety. I need help on both sides of the football. That's my problem. I, I would tell you that you got to keep. I would tell you that you got to keep Harry. All right. Yeah, I I tend or, to agree. Or you could quit. Uh, he's, yeah, he's, he's just I'm out of here. Yeah. If you're Mike, you can <laughs> quit on me too. Because I would. I so, would. I'd be like, I'll call listen. a press conference. At this moment, though, at this moment, we could be talking about this team really having to rely on a lot of young players that might not be ready to step in. I mean, even at left tackle, if they decide to cut Riley Reef, it was a solid season for him, but you're talking about making $9 million on the cap by letting him go. So if you had to cut him and then move Brian O'Neill to left tackle, then you have to move somebody else into right tackle. Right now, that guy is Ole Udo, which, you know, whatever. He hasn't played much at all to be able to say whether he can actually play or not. And you might be talking about someone like Armin Watts having to step in and be your nose tackle, replacing Linval Joseph, which is a huge problem. As much as Armin Watts showed something at times when he was asked to fill in, you're not talking about a Pro Bowl caliber player. Even if he doesn't have 100% of what he had a few years ago, Linval is still an intimidating force. And even if Everson Griffin goes, you might be talking about having to have a Fadi Adenabo play that role, which means all the time he's rushing the passer, not just on third down and long, and not just cleaning up the messes that uh, are created by Everson and by Daniil Hunter. And, and that's where if you have to uh, get rid of all these guys who are good, proven NFL players just to get under the salary cap, just to fill out your defensive secondary with another safety and two more corners and and, and so forth, that's where it gets very hard to do the math on this team. It's like... We all knew at some point the check was going to come. And you just kept ordering food and ordering food and eating the food and having a good time. And today, the Brzezinski did a great job, too. Rob did an outstanding job. Outstanding job to open the window this long. He prolonged the meal as long as you possibly could. He still might be able to, too, though. Like, that's the thing is, we're not, you're not talking about, like, hey, listen, there's ways around this restructuring. We're going to work around this. I looked at the offensive line free agents, and it's like, listen, we might have to keep Riley. Okay, we might have to roll with that because you talk about some of these dudes. Like the only dude that's really on that list is like a Ryan Conklin. And if you were to get rid of Riley, you'd have to move Brian over to left, and then you'd have to bring Ryan in to play right. And even that's going to cost you a fortune. Like these these old linemen are expensive, and you start talking about how to make. Now, don't get me wrong. There's ways that they can do it. There's hard ways and there's easy ways. And I think that as long as the team is still on the collective, hey, we're still on the rise. We can still do this. There's going to be an easy way to get it done. The problem becomes if everyone looks around and goes, hey, listen, the window's kind of closed, and I'm not willing to give up my spot, so mm-hmm. let's play hardball here. And that's when you start wondering who's prepared to play hardball because it's easy to be like, oh, yeah, I'll go to war. But when the team's calling you and they're like, hey, man, 
thought we were going to do this together. And you're like, well, I'm upset and I'm pissed at you and this isn't right. <laughs> They're going to be like, really? Because we're kind of pissed at you too. Like, we could, this can go both ways. And it's, that's when things start getting tricky. And that's when a team can really come unfolded that people don't see, you know, behind the scenes. Yeah. And uh, with Rudolph's deal last year, it started to get a little bit tense between the two sides because it was clear that Rudolph still looked at himself as a star tight end and he saw them draft another tight end as a sign uh, of them telling him, yeah, we're going to replace you, which of course he needs to be realistic about because of his age, but doing it when his contract was up, Irv Smith's a good player, but he looked like or came across as if he felt that they were doing it to put pressure on him to sign you know, an, an easier deal for them. And ultimately, he did sign a fairly team-friendly deal, but he's just another one of those players as evidence that the Vikings decided, of the, if you were on the 2017 team, we want you here, and we're going to pay what it takes to keep you here. We're going to make sure that you get deals that have a lot of cash your way that comes from the ownership, because there are some deals that look like they're bigger than they actually appear, and they don't actually pay the guy as much cash. But with the Wilfs, they're always willing to put the cash down. So even if it's not the highest cap hit, it's a lot of cash in your pocket. Um, now, this relates to the quarterback situation as well. And I wrote about this for our website, scorenorth.com, about the future of the quarterback position and signing Cousins to a contract extension. You're already in a pretty tough spot here with the salary cap. You have a lot of players who are getting older, players you might jettison, players who might leave in free agency, like Anthony Harris, Mackenzie Alexander, and so forth. Now, if you're talking about extending Kirk, something that we have not really discussed, it's been mostly about how he played, but something we haven't really discussed is the franchise's trajectory over the next, say, five years. If that's the type of deal you're talking about signing Cousins to as a five-year extension, Well, what is the trajectory over the next five years? A lot of times, you have to go backwards a little bit to go forwards, which doesn't mean tanking, but it might mean that you're seven and nine or you're six and ten for a year or two, or that's the caliber of team that you're putting out there and hoping that Kirk makes you better, unlikely considering who he is. Would that influence you guys if you were trying to be as realistic as possible about where you'll be? If you were saying, you know what, in the next three years, it's probably not our window. How much would that influence your decision on whether to keep Kirk? Oh, that'd be huge. I think if you you're saying that as a team, you're saying our window is closed. Do we extend Kirk? Yeah, is that I mean, your question? I'm asking how much you factor it in. Like, do you look at him in a bubble and say, "Well, look, he's a good quarterback. He's hard to replace." You just you just don't get like the fifth best quarterback in the NFL by quarterback yes. rating just off the shelf and. I- Lots of guys bust. But if you're looking at the rest of the roster saying, well, you know what? There might need to be some patience within that next contract, though, because we got to restock this cupboard around Kirk. Would that influence whether you decide to keep him or not? Mm, Yes, I think it does. I think that when you're looking at Kirk, you're saying, here's a guy who, by all measures, can put up some really nice games, but when it's tested and, you know, hit often things change i think that you have to free up some money you're gonna have to find a way to do i mean with kirk's deal i feel like i would want to see it in the i might be the only one out here but i feel like i want to see another year don't you aren't you like you know what i'm willing to roll the dice on this kirk if you go out and have a monster year and you go out and you take us all the way 
We'll give you exactly what you want. But if you don't, this is where we will separate ties because we are not going to go down this rabbit hole for as many years as everybody else did. It can't just be the same old thing every year. Yeah, we we beat up on the really crappy teams, but when a good team comes into town, we kind of sputter out a little bit. Like, it's got to be, no, he took the reins that year, and that was the year that proved to everybody that he was prepared to go to the next step. It's like, you know, with Dak. Dak's just falling into a really good spot because he is falling into free agency right now. But you look at last year, you're like, man, he had some great numbers, but they didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Like, like what, what are you paying for a quarterback to not win games for that? He's here to win the big games. That's what the quarterback does. I thread the needle, baby. I make it sweet. If you can't <laughs> do that, why are we paying you $200 million? Like, I'll go get... I'll go get a I'll draft a rookie and I'll groom him and then the fan base will see hey listen we're going to sit on this kid for a while it's going to take a little bit if you don't want to be a fan anymore go be a Green Bay fan but when we come around <laughs> don't expect to get back on this train because it's going to be rolling it's just Alex that's not joining thing. the PR staff no I'm you know very straight I really do want to see it fan go be a Packer fan <laughs> Well, I see because you know you see people that they draft a rookie quarterback, and people are like, "Oh, here we go, another three years." It does. It takes time to develop them, but yeah, sure. it, I really do think that extending Kirk right now is too premature. I think you need to wait and see what happens. And if he if he takes you to the Super Bowl next year, then he's earned it. He's done the Joe Flacco, and you have to give him what he deserves because it's like you know what, man, he bet on himself, and we bet on ourselves, and we lost, and hey. At least we got a ring out of it, right? Like, well, it's okay with us. You got to go earn this for us. I think that's incredibly fair. I, I think that's accurate. And privately, if I was to sit down, if I was Spielman, and I was to sit down with my staff and assess things now, privately, I would say, I think the window's closed. I, I think the 2017 and 18, we signed Kirk. I think it's closed. I'm not sure. Kirk's coming back. Kirk's got 2020. He's got a no trade. He's yeah. going to be paid well. He's coming back. Uh, we're not extending him, and and gentlemen, there is a very good chance that we are going to have to hit a, a very large reset button after 2020, and that's not going to include a highly paid veteran QB who can be brilliant against bad teams and can be pretty good against good teams but falls apart at times. So I, I think Boone's plan is fine. And here's the thing with Kirk. I don't think he's going to be worse because he's in the last year of his contract. Right. So, he knows it too. Yeah, so I but I don't think he's gonna show up and be like, I can't operate without a new contract. I think he's gonna operate like Kirk does. Yeah, he'll play. So I'm fine with it. Yep. He's gonna earn that money. And then, you know, it's funny that we always talk about should the Vikings sign him, but I wonder what he thinks of this. Because if he <laughs> plays here next year and he goes eight and eight or seven and nine, then everyone is gonna blame him. And this time it actually won't be his fault <laughs> because the team will have uh, you know corroded a bit around him and it won't be as good. And it will be kind of like 2017 Washington. It could be where, well, you had your shot and then things started to fade and Cousins was not Aaron Rodgers, was not Russell Wilson, was not Drew Brees and able to raise the level. Right. So that, But the fans, though, are going to be extremely unhappy with Cousins. They're not going to want him here. You know, you're probably talking about a locker room situation that isn't necessarily the best. You could see a world where Cousins says, I'm going to hit the free agent market again. Out. Absolutely. I just want the one guy that I want to stand up in Egan in the coming weeks and and basically articulate the current predicament. It's not Rick. It's Brzezinski. I wanted to say, guys, we can't keep doing this. We can't keep paying guys we like. We can't keep bringing guys back. We can't keep... In, in this sport especially... You can run it back X amount of times, and then that's it. 
Yeah. Like, you can't keep yep. saying, this isn't baseball where you're like, ah, that guy's going into his 11th year and we love Joe. I mean, even Green you Bay. Can't keep doing it. Even Green Bay with Favre, even Green Bay yes. with Rodgers head dips. So you can't well, expect. And that it was Ted, it was Ted who came. This will never happen. Ted's the one that came in and said, we can't run this back every time. Yeah. Right. And people didn't like Ted for that. Uh, Alex, great stuff. I'm going to be off next week, so you and I will not talk to each other. So do not put any mystery guests on the docket. No okay? mystery guests so next you, week. You wait till Super Bowl week, then you can mystery guest your butt off. I love uh, it. And Judd, well, you still work. I didn't here. even know you were off yep. next week. You didn't even <laughs> you tell did me. I. I'm, I'm Thanks wor- a lot, buddy. I'm working Monday to react yeah. to. Boone and I, we're tight. You and me, we're not so tight. Yeah, I know. Next I week, Judd. You and me. I like how, how that sounds. Collar's like Diggs. He's just unhappy, and he's just going to go around mourning. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, great stuff, Alex and Judd. Once again, you were here. See you guys. Uh, and uh, Mackie Judd with Rami could be, as they say, lit when we return. All right. We'll catch you tomorrow on Purple Daily. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 2. I could see beyond the Black Hills and the way they called for exploration. I could feel the air, the way it paints against skin and fills hungry lungs. I could hear the way the water ran for miles and the way the bison grazed, the way our boots meet the earth as we step past expected. I could imagine my time in South Dakota, and I wish to go back, because there's so much South Dakota, so little time. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy 5 or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.